Thanks for joining us for this episode of Reflections from the Front, The Experiences of Women Veterans, a podcast created by VA History Office interns Parker Beverly and Hannah Nelson. Today we are speaking with Navy veteran Sue Ellen Hudson. After a few years in a teaching job after graduating from Wake Forest University, Hudson decided she wanted to travel. As a result, she enlisted in the service and served on the home front during the Vietnam era. Grew up in, I actually was born in Eugene, Oregon, when my father was getting his doctorate at the University of Oregon. But at 14 months, we moved to Gainesville, Florida, where he was on the faculty at the University of Florida. And um, we were there from, oh gosh, I can't remember the dates, but uh, it would have been 49 to 53. And then we moved to Jacksonville, where Daddy became the assistant superintendent of schools for Duval County in Jacksonville. And that, so that's where I did my growing up, you know, from f- four or five years old till I went off to Wake Forest. Uh, I'm the eldest of four. Everyone's still around. Uh, we were born in four and a half years. My parents uh, met during the, well, the end of World War II. They were both in the Navy. They were both Naval officers and veterans and um they married late you know i mean they married they were like 32 33 when they got married so they put the speed dial on and had four children no twins in four and a half years so mother was very very busy she always said that uh she she didn't have her head out of the diaper bucket for about eight years We had a good, you know, pleasant, a 1950s childhood. Uh, in fact, our last name um, was Anderson. And um, at that time, the popular TV show was Father Knows Best. And their last name was Anderson. And so for a long time, till I went to wake and realized there was another world out there, I thought that everybody was living the same Father Knows Best because we were living it. Your parents' participation in the military, could you tell me a little bit about their experience? Yes, um, it's kind of interesting. My dad um, lost, uh, his father left the family early on. He was an only child and his mother died right before World War II. So he was kind of, he was on his own. And um, he graduated from the University of Florida and got a master's degree there and uh, in public school administration. And uh, the, the war, he actually had been a ROTC student but he decided he did not want to do the army. So he went quickly when, it re- when he realized he was going to be called up and he enlisted in the Navy, of course, as, a, as an officer, he was taken right in. And uh, his story goes that he used to plead with them to send him overseas because he was a single man with no family and don't send a family man. But his skills were needed here. So what he did, the Navy sent him during the entire war around the United States, and he set up aviation mechanic schools everywhere for the for the different uh, bases and then they would bring in a, a pilot to be the commanding officer but he was the one that did all the administrative work he determined how many personnel were needed there all of those kinds of things so he was stationed in, in a variety of places and his last station was tongue point in oregon and he asked for three uh women officers to be sent back then they called them waves mm-hmm. to be sent to um Tongue point. And uh, the Bureau of Naval Personnel filled only two positions. And one of the waves was my mother. Oh, wow. And so, and they really had kind of a fun group there. And she didn't realize that he had his eye on her. But they, at the end of the war, they were transferred daddy to Pensacola, 
and mother to Jacksonville, but she went home to her parents in Iowa to visit them en route to Jacksonville. Daddy reported to Pensacola and was told his orders had been changed. He didn't request it, been changed to Jacksonville. So he knew mother was coming and he told the officer of the day to send Lieutenant Peterson when she arrived to Lieutenant Commander Anderson. So the officer of the day followed instructions and did that. And my mother protested about three times. So he said, ma'am, <laughs> I was told for you to go to this office. She didn't believe daddy was there because she knew he was going to Pensacola. So that's the story. And they got married four months later. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's very <laughs> so cool. They moved quickly. Yeah. So they were stationed at NAS Jacksonville. And my father continued his affiliation with the Navy. And he retired as a Navy captain after, I don't know how many years, in the reserves. To, I taught school after graduating from Wake. I taught Spanish and English. And I decided it was too restrictive. I was in um, at For West Forsyth High School in Clemens. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to broaden my horizons. And my mother always said, if you don't know what you want to do, join the Navy and let them help you decide what to do. And so that's what I did. I reported for duty on the 14th of February, 1972. And it was so cold and so windy out there at the point in Newport. Oh my God. I thought, oh, I have done the wrong thing. I've got to, I've got, <laughs> I've got to resign right away and come, come back south. But I didn't and I stuck it out. And then they sent me to communication school uh, afterwards, right there in Newport. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I was assigned to the Naval Air Facility in Washington, DC. I was a communications officer for the base and what that entailed at that time, you know, that was when they had these huge computers. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was one whole room with those very loud, you know, computers moving all the time. Anyway, the messages came in and I had a wonderful E8 enlisted who was so bright at everything. And we were told in school, in officer candidate school, that if you got a really good enlisted man, man or woman who was in charge, just let that person be in charge and then he will make you look good <laughs> as a junior officer. And uh, he did, Chief Conley made me look really, really good. And uh, so we received all the messages incoming and outgoing. We handled all, in other words, of the electronic mail for the Naval Air Facility. And it was an interesting little command on Andrews Air Force Base. Um, small command, the Navy presence there. But um, our, we had a CO who was, uh, I adored him, Captain Woodard. He, he was a cap, captain, obviously. And um, what we did, what the mission of the Naval Air Facility was, was to fly the um, military civilian and military dignitaries from the Pentagon and the, the Bureau of Naval Personnel to wherever they needed to go. Like if SecNav, Secretary of the Navy, needed to go to Europe, then we flew him to Europe. And one really uh, lovely thing about it was that um, in those days, uh, they were not the 747s, but they were configured for the um, personnel. My captain, really liked me and he would come down the hallway and he'd say, to Helen, you want to go to London? I just talked to SecNav. And he said, as long as they don't disturb us, because the plane was built with a, a suite for SecNav and his wife at the back of the plane. And, um, but other people could go. So we got to do a lot of fun things, Hal and I did. 
in the Navy, you always have, um, and I assume they still do, collateral duties. Mm -hmm. And I was the uh, RPS registered publications. I guess I was liaison. Mm -hmm. In other words, I kept, I had a big safe in my office, a huge safe that contained all of the codes. So you have to have matching codes or you did. I'm talking about a lot of, a lot of years ago. So what they do now, I don't know. But um, so I had to give the codes out when a, a plane was going to Canada, was going to South America, was going to um, Europe and, uh, and they could match with the other codes. So. Some of the POWs went to the West Coast, but some came to Andrews Air Force Base. And so the Navy personnel who came, uh, we were kind of assigned uh, to, to go over there. So we went to the other side of the base and welcomed the Navy POW, welcomed all of them, but then we would escort the Navy uh, POWs and, you know, get them reacquainted with their families and make sure they had everything. We were kind of liaisons like that. So that was that was a very good, it was a, a happy time because we were through with Vietnam and all of these people were coming home and they were so happy to be coming home. Um, and it was interesting too, because a lot of the pilots stationed um, at the Pentagon had been in Vietnam. And so what Hal did was he flew them in T-28s so it's a, a two-passenger front and back plane, and um, I, I don't think they use the T-28 anymore. But anyway, so he they had to get a certain number of hours per month to stay current, and so he literally and so they were so grateful to be out of their desk job and out at the Naval Air Facility, and Hal was the recipient of all of that gratitude, and then he would call me, we were dating at the time, he'd call me and say, okay, I'm taking so-and-so to lunch at the BOQ, you wanna come? And I, sure. So I got to listen to all of these tales and some of them were unbelievable mm -hmm. of, you know, flying, not making the deck of an aircraft carrier, going into the <laughs> drink and, and then being recovered. And oh, I mean, I, I heard lots of stories of flying the mission in Vietnam that was very informative. That was a very special time, I think, that we were there and being in DC was, was special. Absolutely. Now, did you meet Hal when you were in the service? Yeah, yeah. He was at station there. And so he had been there about nine or 10 months. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of Vietnam, the students in the pipeline at, here at Pensacola, um, the aviation students, they cut, in fact, he said one day they came into the class and they literally said, okay, number five, number 10, number whatever, you're dismissed. Mm -hmm. So half the class was dismissed, his, his class. Uh, he was not, but then there was, he could not fly in Vietnam. So uh, he was what they called stashed. But he, that was a good place to be stashed because it wasn't a desk job, he was flying. Yes. And um, it wasn't a mission. Like, well, it was a mission. His mission was to fly the, the pilots from the Pentagon and, you know, and from the Bureau. Um, but anyway, that, so he was there and I, I met him upon arrival and we kind of did the same thing my parents did. We dated six months and we got married. And at the end of our two years, he was there a little bit longer. He was there almost three years. I was there too. And we were transferred to Brunswick, Maine. 
which was the home of um, VP-8. There were, uh, I guess there were six patrol squad ones, but Hal threw a, flew a P-3. And the mission of the P-3 at that time was to search for um, Russian subs. It was a big plane and there was a crew of like 13 or 14 people. And so he moved from being a member of that crew to being the crew captain, of course, at the end of his three years in Maine. And, um, and I was the public affairs officer for, the, for NAS Brunswick. So I handled the newspaper for the, um, I was the editor of the newspaper, editor and publisher of the NAS newspaper. I handled all of the cha uh, changes of command so when anybody was retiring from any squadron from anywhere, then I prepared or my um, yeoman prepared all of the paperwork and I made sure the ceremony, the people that were supposed to be there to say farewell were there. And uh, so I arranged all of those kinds of things. And then there were other various and sundry things that would happen that I was in charge of too, but those were probably not two, two main duties. And that newspaper was a weekly newspaper and we had to get it out. Were there a lot of other women serving at that time? No, there weren't, uh, not in, in the Navy period. And I don't know how it's increased, but I think maybe there were, I wanna say, and I, I'd have to do my research and let you know, but maybe 10%, that may be even high, I don't know. But like at, okay, I'm trying to remember exactly, There, I think there was only one, one or two other women officers. I think there were only one or two other. Mm -hmm. In, in Brunswick. Would you say that you experienced any kind of discrimination because you're a woman? You know, at the time, um, you have to understand, you young people have come a long way, young ladies have, and good for you. But um, if, there, if there was any discrimination, I don't know if you call it discrimination, but for one thing, um, like there would be comments occasionally about my appearance, which I probably, it wouldn't happen today, or if it did, I would probably reject it and say, you know, Commander, you're a little out of line. At the time, it's like, okay, okay, you know, but nobody ever tried to, um, you know, harass me in any way. Uh, in fact, Cander, Commander McKissick, who was my direct boss in admin, because I, I assume some assistant admin uh, jobs too. And he was at the end of his career and retiring and he decided to take all of his leave at the end, which you could do. You weren't really retired yet, but you could. And so he asked me to fill in for his last month. And so I thought that was, he could have asked a, a male officer to do that. And he asked me, I, I was the logical one in the chain of command. And so he did the right thing, but he could very well not have. So I, I, I can't, no, I, I had a pleasant experience. Um, and the commanding officer I had in at the Naval Air Facility, Captain Woodard, I corresponded with him forever, never saw him again, but every Christmas until the end of his life. He was excellent. And he was so respectful of women. He was a mentor. He was a very good mentor. When we got out of the Navy, it was really because Hal had had, he had seven years in of active duty. And if he stayed three more, he'd be halfway. And then he felt he needed to stay another 10. And he wanted to try civilian life because um, his father had a company that he wanted him to join. And so we tried that with the thought that if it didn't work, we would go back in, which people did in those days. You could go back in. The problem was 
and we did call a couple of times. We got kind of exasperated mm -hmm. with civilian life because military life can be trying because you have to, to move, particularly in the Navy. Air Force, you don't move as much. but the Navy, you do. That can be a challenge. And then if you have children and schools and all that. But um, it was very protective. It was very safe. That check came, uh, your medical, every everything you know, we had to navigate on our own in the civilian world and we'd say, okay, let's call. So how we'll call the bureau and they go, oh yeah, we'll take you back. We'll take you back in a heartbeat. And then he'd say, okay, now what, what would be, what would be my choices? They were always going to send him to an aircraft carrier. Mm. And, um, and then he'd say, well, for, for his first, first duty back. So we never did it. I wanted to go, I speak Spanish and I really so much wanted to be an intelligence and I put that on everything and um, that's not what I, I got <laughs> for some reason, whatever my rec record, whatever, this is what I received. Now, it's, if I'd stayed in longer, I might have been able to persuade them to send me in, to an intelligence school. And, um, but, but I, I didn't, I stayed in, I was in five years, two years in DC and then three years in Brunswick, Maine. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was, you, you said, you know, what are some highlights and what, how did it broaden your horizons? For two Floridians to live in Brunswick, Maine for three years, what was uh, quite interesting. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah, I mean, I learned about an, a segment of the country and about the people who live there. And there's quite, quite a difference uh, between Florida and, and Maine and just the uh, weather challenges, I think make them different uh and and uh, i mean they're they're just interesting people um <laughs> I, I went one time the, this is just an aside but i went one time I, we were painting one of the rooms and we bought an old farmhouse so it was built in like 1820 oh, wow. and it had been renovated but we did some modifications and so and how was overseas then and I went to the Brunswick hardware store. It was a wonderful hardware store. And um, so I couldn't decide on these colors. So I'm chattering away. There's a man behind the counter there. And he just, I mean, he wasn't annoyed or anything. Oh, I think just a little Southern girl. I think, what do you think about this? Blue? Maybe, you know, on and on. And I finally looked at him and I said, you're not going to weigh in on this at all. Nope. And that's what they would say in Maine. Yep. And nope, they just were no nonsense. Yes, he was nice. And I said, well, I'm going with this one. Okay. And he rang it up. But he was, you know, it was, I was used to the Southern banter back and forth. And um, so that was, that was interesting. And it is a beautiful part of the country. It's very different. And um, I learned to fix lobster, to cook lobster. <laughs> yeah, Maine lobster. We had lobsters running around the kitchen floor. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> we got some lobsters loose in there and had to put them in the pot. So, you know, I just had adventures I would never have, have had. How would you say your military service changed you? What did you learn as a result of your time? Ooh, a good, a good question. Um, 
as I said, I wanted to broaden my horizons through uh, travel and meeting other people and having experiences that I would not have if I continued teaching high school Spanish and English at West Forsyth in Winston-Salem, where I had been for four years anyway. And there's nothing wrong with that. And people, people did that. And I had friends who taught because they got married and the husband was like at Bowman Gray Medical School or something like that. And that's a perfectly good way to go too. So I don't want, but for me personally, it, I mean, we went to, to Europe, we traveled all over the United States. Um, I had responsibility that I would not have had, not that teaching school is not, uh, there's not a lot of responsibility. There is a lot of responsibility and that's a noble profession too. But I felt like I, um, I learned to navigate um, kind of in a man's world. I knew how to, I learned to be a manager, um, which I don't think I would have learned as well um, as a teacher. Uh, I don't know. I might've done something else too beyond teaching. I don't know, but I learned a lot of skills and, you know, I, I have a home in Seaside and I built seven houses there and I got into construction there because house sort of challenged me. I wanted to have uh, a house in 1984 when we bought our first property and a lot of my friends said how on the earth did you learn to do that and I said managing subcontractors is just like managing personnel in the navy mm-hmm. you know I, I just knew what to do um, taught me the balance between being firm also taught me to be clear in my expectations and to impart that clarity to the personnel so that they knew where they stood and what was expected of them mm-hmm. and to always treat them re- with respect, but always to keep a bit of a social distance. You know, you, you don't party <laughs> with uh, your personnel. You, you keep a distance there and you're a firm, but um, gracious leader. Yes. The yes. Navy taught me all of that. And to tell you the truth, uh, the training in OCS taught us that too. We, we did have lectures on how to handle enlisted personnel. Do you think that women today are better represented in the military? What do you think of the, the current status of women in the military? No, I, I should be better at keeping, oh, but yes, they are. And they go much higher and there's some admirals. And um, yeah, yeah, I think they, they have more opportunities. Of course, while I was still on active duty, they um, had the first class of, uh, or not first class, but the, the first group of women to enter flight school. Wow. That wasn't even an option. I would not have chosen it. That that's not my thing. But but um, I think it's wonderful that it's open to women and they can be pilots and they can go on ships. You didn't go on a ship then either. Yes. Oh, it's much more open. Uh, yes, for sure. For women, many more opportunities than in in my day. Well, that was actually my last question. Is there anything that I didn't touch on that you'd like to share? I don't know. I kind of said more than you need. You'll have a lot of stuff there. It was a good, it was a good experience. And um, I would advise anyone who's, who is not quite sure of what she wants to do to entertain the possibility of entering uh, one of the branches. Of course, I'm, I'm very partial to the Navy because both of my parents were in the Navy, but um, House father was in the Navy. He was a CB during World War II in the Pacific on Peleliu. So, um, yeah, so we have a big Navy background. Daddy loved 
the Navy and, and mother loved the Navy. I love the Navy. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my background. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Reflections from the Front. We hope you will join us for our next episode with Virginia Willard.